Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming. The podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Sontu. This is Fintech Daydreaming. We're back. Another fantastic episode of your favorite fintech daydreaming podcast. We will dive yet again into the world of banking, fintech, and whatever else we find exciting during the next 45 or so minutes. I am Paul Krogdahl. I always have been, probably always will be. And with me, as always, I have got my partner in crime, my fintech extraordinaire and banking expert, Villa. How are you? Hey, Paul. Doing great. Should we say partner in financial crime, to be specific, or um, how should we portray this? I'm, I'm worried that, you know, the, the, the FBI and everybody else will stop chasing us if we say financial crime these days. That's a good point. So yeah. let's just uh, stick to crime, generous. <laughs> yeah, it's petty crime. It's, uh, you know, uh, stealing your neighbor's apples. Yeah. <laughs> And jokes sometimes. And jokes, yes. I think I think maybe maybe we need to stop saying crime altogether. Smart move. Smart Enough. move. Smart move. <laughs> okay. So to our listeners, he's not my partner in crime. No crime at all on this side or that side. In fact, crime, nah, we know nothing about it. But what we do know an awful lot about is banking as a service. Right, Villa? Yes, seems to be a very trendy topic. Uh, we've had several guests on the podcast before to talk about this, and uh, I think uh, we're going to continue on this trend uh, as it becomes, it's, it's so hot right now. Uh, we're seeing these banking as a service providers, embedded finance popping up everywhere. So we might as well talk about it until we, uh, until we run out of uh, fantastic guests to, to bring on board. But uh, luckily, that's not the case today. No, it's not. It's not. And I've, I've seen some statistics that say that uh, the growth of the banking as a service domain is set to accelerate over the next sort of 12 to, uh, to two years period. So therefore, I'm, I'm really, really excited and interested to have Ion here with us today. In actual fact, I've got some history with Ion. Um, during early discussions uh, with Thought Machine, I, uh, I got to, to meet Ion and we've, we've sort of had connections ever since. He's moved on, but he'll share all of that with us. So, Ion, why don't you tell the rest of the world, uh, who are you? How did you get to where you are? And what is your superpower? <laughs> I always think about the uh, Marvel characters uh, when, when I'm asked that question. Mm -hmm. um, so, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Ion Pratulu. Very good to, to be here on the podcast today with you. Um, my, I, I take care of the commercial arm of Yabota. Uh, Ibota is a cloud-native core banking solution. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it later on uh, this this uh, podcast as to what it does, what sort of like services and, and software products it brings to the market. Um, I got into Ibota um, with with the sole purpose of setting up their commercial arm. They they were established in 2016 and um, they're very focused in getting their clients live to market. That was the the sort of like primary focus of their investors as well before going out and branching and scaling the, the company. So 
um, I was simply approached by the CEO saying, hey, how do you fancy doing more than, than what you're doing right now? And that time I was at a thought machine, as, as you said, Paul, and um, I was, carrying, I was carrying kind of like a, a significant territory, uh, Central Eastern Europe and the Middle East, quite diverse. Um, but I was very keen to, to sort of like get my hands dirty and, and set something up. So um, the, the previous CEO of, of Yabota, uh, Amar Akhtar, said, um, hey, let's, let's explore. How would you go about um, taking this company to market? And there have been several, you know, um, thoughts and stra strategies that we put together, but we kind of all got to an agreement that the next thing that's happening in the market um, is banking as a service. And we have a special relationship with, with a client um, who now purchased us. It's a, it's a digital bank called Chetwood Financial. And, uh, and with them, we're, we're trying to bring a real um, version of banking as a service to the market. And we'll go into that um, in a little bit. Um, and prior to Yabuta, as I said, I was with Thought Machine, um, very interesting company for me it was a new place um, as I worked previously to that in, in more of a legacy type provider. Um, Fiserv, um, Thought Machine sort of had this ambition and still has it and I think they're doing a brilliant uh, job at it of changing the face of banking and um, really, really kind of making um, uh, legacy look like, uh, uh, you know, the loser in the game almost simply because they're, they're focusing on, on, on that cloud native aspect, the real-time data, the API-driven architecture, which is something that you, you, you don't have from, from any other providers out there. Um, so the reason I sort of like said, I'll, I want to, to jump into the fintech world with Pfizer, Fault Machine, Yobota, was simply because I, I, I come from a banking background. So I work for large banks in the past and been an advisor, an advisor in, in equity capital markets. And I said, I need a balance to my life. So I thought FinTech was the route. Um, can I can I fulfill that thought now? Perhaps not, <laughs> because you still you still have uh, a lot of projects going on um, the, the further you advance in your career. Um, but it's a beautiful journey. And I think uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's, we're actually finding all the guests that we have on this podcast that are working deeply with one of the, the fintechs actually come from a very strong backing, banking background um, or a very, very strong technology background. But the successful ones are, you know, they have a very, very heavy banking background as well. Yeah. Do you find based on your banking background that there is a fundamental shift happening where dare I say, traditional bankers that don't understand this new growth of technology and cloud native are, are heading towards a, a world of hurt almost? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's so impressive. I, I mean, I didn't work in retail banking when I was in banking. I was more set in, in capital markets, but yet technology of, is applicable across different segments because there isn't much innovation in the pace in that space when you would structure uh, an IPO and you wouldn't know how the the the, the real time exchange of shares would happen. So there are commonalities um, that, that are happening across the different banking divisions. Um, nowadays, I think when when you're talking with bankers that have been so comfortably um, using the, uh, the, the the systems that they know probably for 10, 15, 20 years, they they sort of um, realize that there is the time for, for a change. And the fact that their customers are moving their funds to, to providers that are um, 
able to provide functionality to the end customer and and sort of removes the the loyalty aspect is 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 awakening call for for them but um i think traditional bankers are still yet to understand certain things which which um which is slowing them a little bit down uh, versus the more modern players and that is the belief that they always have to um sort of like change the software to meet their existing uh processes whereas the modern players are taking a different approach they're they're actually driving with the business proposition in mind and designing their processes to make sure that the software is able to perform and to to get them the results they're looking for and that's a a big sort of like change that we in, in technology are trying to educate the financial sector um, and, and people in power of, of changing these these um, sort of software products. Um, so it is definitely um, a change, you know, since I was in banking to now, um, but more so, I think, with a with a vast um, uh, choice of of uh, players that you can can go for. Um, yeah. As well. yeah, I think that you actually leads me up an interesting oh. point. Do you mind, Paul? Go on, Villa. Go for it. Just, uh, just uh, making a note here that you, you raise a really interesting uh, dynamic in the in these discussions between legacy and new technology. Because while it's it's critically important to understand how the business actually works, it's not the thing that you can just solve with technology. You need to understand the processes. You need to know about the business and the value and the solution that you are providing. But at the same time, you might not really want to get stuck uh, into this thinking that you mentioned correctly, which is that we've done it, always done it this way. We always will continue to do it this way. We might create a digital version, but it has to be the same process. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great point because many times when you dig deeper into these questions uh, about does do we really need to do this process, the answer, the default answer seems to be, oh, it's for compliance reasons. Well, then you go and, well, could we look at the, the regulation and see, understand whether that really is the case? And in most of the cases, actually, it is not. It's just the way it's been always done in that specific institution, rather than a definite risk management or a legal requirement. So I think finding a balance between these two things, understanding the business, but still being open to new ways or new, simpler, faster ways of doing things is a, is a really interesting discussion to be had in, in any institution uh, when you're deploying your technology. Absolutely. Yes, I, I completely uh, back that. Yeah. But it actually tees up for another interesting question. Uh, we, we started off, like you said, you know, you're both uh, banking as a service. We've had a number of guests on, on the podcast talking about banking as a service. Um, I keep finding that when you talk about banking as a service or banking as a platform or software as a service and all of these other as a service or as a platform paradigms, you end up with an awful lot of confusion. Right. And, and we are heading towards this whole shift where, like you said, banks need to take advantage of the technology. They are looking at how can they outsource as much as possible? How can they become as uh, streamlined as possible? But you know, from your perspective, from your bottom perspective, how do we define banking as a service? Because I've heard so many different definitions of this. It'd be fantastic to get yours. Sure. I mean, you're right. There, there's so many, um, so many definitions out in the market, and and I think um, 
they they are carved in that way to sort of like service a single purpose. So if you look at someone like Rails Bank, they they care of uh, they take care of the you know payments licenses and so on. And and similarly to Clear Bank, they 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 have that fifth uh, you know their fifth bank for for clearing service in the UK after a hundred and so years. So they are calling themselves banking as a service. But for for us, what we believe in um, as the true definition of banking as a service, we believe that it stands in the B letter. So the B letter is something that you provide to um, a third party, which is a banking license access and a balance sheet. And, and that caters really well for, for uh, a different segment of, of um, let's say, um, third parties that would be you know, interested in, in getting those. To, to acquire a banking license in the UK, especially through COVID, the, the, the timeline is at least for 12 months. Um, the other thing is you need a significant capital, uh, at least 5 million in order to apply for it. Um, and there are a lot of new propositions that are coming to market um, uh, that that simply do not have the, 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 the time or the capital to sort of like uh, provide to uh, the FCA and, and get onto the uh, application um, process. So you have a provider like Yabota together with Sheffield Financial, who is a regulated bank. They have a consumer credit license, deposit taking and mortgages. And you would like to set up your own business and, and sort of partner up with someone that provides you the banking license. But also there is access to a balance sheet. And what does that mean? Capital, so that you can start your business straight away rather than looking for indiv individual investors or lenders that can provide you that, that capital. Um, so those two elements are, are, are sort of checked. But what comes to the second part of the acronym as a service is, is um, a multitude of components that you can you can take, you can white label the solution. And that means the entire architecture that's available from um, you know, the, the uh, front-end origination products through, through core banking, through to orchestration, through decisioning, comms, and, and so on, and not worry about going to the market and selecting a multitude of, of um, providers for which you will then have to integrate every, every single item uh, individually to each other. Um, so we're able to sort of like check all these um, these services and, and software products for for um, a customer that would like to take advantage of uh, of having the, um, the tech combined with all the regulatory approvals as well as a, a capital access. That's how we see banking as a service um, being its true sort of um, uh, acronym for, for us. And there are not many providers out in the market. Um, uh, leveraging such such um, licenses, capital, and, and and software, there are a few that are, you know, doing more the software, uh, not so much the the license aspect. Um, Chattel Financial has its consumer brands as well, uh, has lending deposits and and uh, a credit card. Um, and, and these are, again, um, they, they, they're a bank that had to go through all the regulatory aspects. Um, now, as part of the service, you can take, as I said earlier, components. You might not need the balance sheets or, or the banking license because you have that crossed um, from, from your list, but you want to design a proposition on a cloud-native stack of technology. And again, you don't want to sort of um, wait for long implementation timelines you would like to copy the um, the, the architecture that's already um, existing and then design your product proposition um, so that's how we see bank as a service it's it's that element of real banking and how you're supporting a, a potential prospect from different angles it's a fantastically good definition i i really like it i think it aligns very nicely with my point of view and my perspective now 
I've got, got some interesting questions to go with that, right? Villa and I keep um, having this joke. We're going to build the uh, FinTech Daydreaming Bank. Right? Mm -hmm. So you've come along now with a fantastic value proposition. We don't need a banking license. We can just jump onto your platform, pay you some money, uh, license fees. We get the balance sheet, uh, everything else. So now I've got you know two interesting questions on the back of that. Sure. Um, the technology is a given almost, right? I mean, anyone can create a platform and it's up and running and you can jump onto it. But from a, a license perspective, um, I'm assuming that if, if we are piggybacking on your license, you're taking very high risk on the fact that we are going to, as a pseudo bank, going to operate within the framework of your license agreement. That's correct. And, and you know, there's, there's no hiding away from, from how the structure works. Um, when we look at prospects in the market, and there are several there across different sectors, you know, in the retail, actually retailers, uh, in the retail sector, energy sector, um, these individuals do not have such, uh, such licenses. And we need to sort of understand their customer profile. Um, because when it comes to leveraging a banking license, and let's say if, if uh, we provide access to funds as well, call it 30, 50 million and, and so on, we need to understand the, um, the risk associated with the customers that are coming in. And we need to be able to work on a pricing structure that, that works for that end customer together with you because ultimately the risk taken is by, by us and the bank. And if the end customer doesn't pay, then we will need to deal with the collections and, and, and so on. Um, but the, the um, sort of like idea of the chat with brands, the, the lending brands that they have and, and savings products as well, it's, it's sort of targeted as a, a, at a near prime um, uh, market segment. And that works pretty well in the, in the sectors that we are, we're trying to, to go after um, because they're having similar credit scores. There's a similar sort of adoption. Uh, you can see more um, of the customer profile. And to, to add to that in the UK market, you have way more access to, to data by open banking about consumers so you know how to um, how to uh, sort of manage those those customers um, and to kind of like take it a, a step forward to to um, to kind of like highlight our our risk appetite um, Chetwood has the, designed this product called live land and um, again they're going after a segment that is a bit more risky than than others but because they have integrated into a, a, um, all the solutions into a cloud native um, architecture and, and they obtain real life data, they have designed a loan product that basically changes its interest rates um, based on the um, credit score of the customer. So today you might choose to uh, apply for a loan of 1000 pounds and you're approved, but your credit score is let's say 600 out of 1000 and you get an interest at 25, 30%, for example. Um, in six months, you prove yourself as an end customer that you're paying um, your, your, your um, loan back and your credit score has improved. The loan automatically adjusts um, its interest rate to service you uh, as, as a customer and ultimately better your financial position. So we're leveraging technology to understand accurately where is the customer um, in, in their sort of like um, duration of, of a loan and, and how are they performing um, in, in terms of the, the credit score. So when it comes to leveraging that um, uh, risk with, with a third party, we have tools that we can really identify where, how the customer um, risk profile would look like uh, in, in anticipation of a, a blind for a product. 
You actually mentioned there two things that, that sparked off another question to me, data and customer. So in this world of, of banking as a service where Villa and I initiate our FinTech Daydreaming Bank, who actually owns the client relationship? Is it, is it FinTech Daydreaming Bank or is it Yobota? So if you are bringing your customers and the relationship, that would be you. If you're accessing the uh, capital that we provide, we will need to work together on agreeing a sort of pricing model and, and a risk category that works for both sides. Um, but ultimately, the journey that you want to acquire the customer and the further on relationship with them, that can be managed um, directly by, uh, by FinTech Daydreaming. So that links into another question, which of course is the uh, geographical dimension into the whole banking as a service conversation. Now, as we know, the banks, and in this case, uh, Treadwood Bank is tied to the jurisdiction, in this case, UK, uh, the license is granted and they are supervised in the UK. Uh, now, increasingly, of course, these fintechs, they want to operate on a global scale. Uh, so let's say that uh, we have identified that the fintech daydreaming bank, uh, we have a very, uh, good audience in Taiwan. That is actually partially true. <laughs> so uh, hello, our Taiwanese listeners. So uh, the uh, and we would like to start start up FinTech Dreaming Bank in Taiwan. Now, obviously, the, the banking charter of your, your, your bank doesn't really work there. But how do you see this, uh, this scaling in this, uh, in these cases where the FinTechs might want might have a global ambition, or at least a multi jurisdiction ambition. How do you see this world moving forward and uh, what are the limitations today? Sure. I mean, like there are a couple of elements from, from a technology standpoint, uh, as you pointed out, um, Bile, the, the, um, the banking uh, licensing aspect wouldn't apply to Taiwan. Um, we are regulated by the UK entity um, and we would need to identify a banking partner um, that would ultimately work with us and, and position the, um, the proposition with that client in, in Taiwan. The elements that the uh, you know, uh, FinTech Daydreaming can take to Taiwan are the second part of the acronym as a service. You can take components around um, managing your clients, creating financial products. You can leverage the uh, reporting side of things that we have in the tool, all the orchestration journey with the different workflows, the credit decisioning engine that we provide, uh, different communication um, engines that we, we allow you to sort of manage your customers. So there, there are the components that can be leveraged here. Of course, the banking license or the capital would be provided by someone who has a presence in that jurisdiction. Um, but how are we solving this problem of like not having to install the the system or the architecture each time you're you're moving to to a different country? Um, so it, it comes really from from the back end um, system. So the core engine that we've developed has a multi brand capability, and this is not not sort of like a, any anything new in the market. But the whole principle of it is that if you have a a company that has a uh, you know under its umbrella a group of other companies. We, um, we consider them as brands and we have segregated the information on the platform so that it keeps data separated from one brand to another. And we went a step further. We, we saw what Chetwood wanted to do when, when they were a client of ours before the acquisition. They, they were really keen to launch a brand and have its, um, its own sort of third-party API integrations uh, with, with third-party providers. And they needed certain providers to be um, selected for brand a versus brand B. So we allow them to plug and play solutions, third-party solutions into the, the core as they wish per each 
brand that they want to to launch and that sort of principle is taken further when you're looking at the international expansion we have actually a client that's due to be announced very soon uh, in the uk market but their ambition is to go to the us as well so how are they leveraging the platform they don't have to install the system all all from scratch they just need to make sure that whatever you know payment system or or um open banking provider um, that they, they wish to work with is, is the one that meets the regulatory uh, demands of the US market. But in the end, they'll be able to see if they have a customer who is from London and would like to apply for products because they're launching their business in the US market, they can see how those customers move across the different brands. So um, that's that's how we, we thought of it. Yeah, and would you typically help your fintech customers in finding these partner banks, like in this our case in Taiwan, would you help us find a proper Taiwanese bank that you might have already in your network or you might already know, or are they typically brought in by the uh, by the by the your customers themselves? Yes, we have an area of, um, of of partners across the banking consulting sector, uh, technology, cloud as well, because obviously the, the the cloud providers are different in every market and they go through their own regulatory approvals. So we have a set of relationships that we can leverage um, across those those opportunities that are not based at, in, you know in in the UK at home. Um, we we are very you know. Um, considerate of the fact that the, the license can be leveraged and therefore we just make sure that the banking partner that you know uh, we identify or suggest to you kind of meets the same the same uh, ambitions as as you would in, in that specific market actually changing tact a little bit villa we um when we were at the nordic fintech summit we reflected on the fact that if you went back probably about a year two years Every single fintech that would be at a summit like that would be focused on front end, right? Customer journeys, front end capabilities. This year when we were there, I would say probably close to 80%, if not more, were core providers, backend providers, you know, banking as a service providers. Just reflecting a little bit, is, is this space not becoming saturated? I mean, do we need more providers in this space? What, what do you guys think? I think it's a really good remark, to be honest, Paul. Um, it, it, it is a bus- busy sector, um, and I get to find out another provider every, every other day. Yeah. There's a new core provider coming to the market. Um, but uh, at the same time, I believe that there is also a significant demand for, for such services because, you know, you have the, the, the likes of Mambu, 10x, Thought Machine, um, Open, uh, 5 Degrees, and then in the US you have Finzac, Nimbus, Neocoba, all sort of like catering for, for a specific um, target market. And, and they all start in an area which is fairly easy to deploy that's primarily retail banking and and with products that are also very easy to to build and you would find that uh, when you're looking at the market and on where where are the trends nowadays and the different waves of core banking providers you you do have the cloud native versus legacy there's also modern um, modern legacy a term that I've I've uh, I've heard quite a few times uh, being spoken actually at, at events where People nowadays are are putting the the sort of like flexibility and um, and um, the, the sort of like customer journey at the forefront of their um, of their business. I was talking with a with a very sort of like significant bank, um, tier bank in um, 
at, at the previous event where they were just saying how slow it would be for them to, to go out and ask their existing provider to build a new new financial product. Um, they, they said it will be probably 18 months until we can launch and we're already suffering because our customers are moving our, um, uh, their funds to other providers, which are, which are the fintechs. Um, so when you put that, that sort of like reflection into, into how many providers are there, you know, you have Thought Machine who's going after the tier ones and, and they provide you with a very, very flexible uh, engine that works really well for that sector because tier one banks have the capacity and the resources to really model the platform the, the way they wish. So yeah. it means that you have to build a lot from scratch. Um, you have Mambu who's who's going for lower tiers and 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 you know more more fintechy type clients um, who are very happy to take what's available on off the shelf, but they're not putting a demand on allowing for the same innovation like Thought Machine would have or or the same flexibility in changing the financial products. Um, and then you have Yabota who's trying to to give that flexibility to customers, but also off the shelf products that are fully functional with a lot of economics and accounting capabilities behind it. Um, so there are quite a few providers in the market and, and we're slowly starting to see some consolidations happening as well. I don't know if you've uh, if you've heard Money 2020 in Amsterdam in September, uh, Vodino and Temenos um, uh, announced a partnership um, to to kind of like elevate a little bit more the the technology Temenos has because it's not as you know um, advanced as as the new provider simply because it's built on a new tech stack. They're trying to upgrade them, but they're not. Uh, a like for like, and the same in the US. Pfizer, my old employer, acquired Finzact, which is a yes. cloud native provider, also targeting tier one um, um, uh, platforms. And there are more of these type of conversations happening in the market, where you see the likes of Finastra, Infosys, and 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 so on. Um, realizing that instead of them building something from scratch, which would take a number of years, versus the um, um, the available cloud native ones. They would much rather take the, the partnership route um, because another big big element which the legacy providers have to deal with is not necessarily updating their tech but it's migrating their customers to a new version of the product and you can look at two three years uh, migration of a software um, version to to the latest one for some significant banks so um yeah there are consolidation elements there are challenges there there is a little bit of uh, everything for for everyone, um, but as the you know the cloud native core core banking providers are evolving, they are also evolving with um, with their um, availability of different features. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So just two comments to add from from my perspective. The first of all. It's a hot market, so obviously there's going to be a lot of competition, uh, and that's a really good thing. Uh, I think what we're going to see next is uh, is segmentation. So we will have different providers uh, targeting different levels in terms of size, but also industry segments. So we will have uh, somebody catering for uh, certain types of banks and, uh, and or other types of fintechs. Again, spe specialization uh, on the uh, on the offering is probably going to reflect also on the banking as a service provider side. Some are stronger in other places than others by design. Uh, the other other comment is that the uh, uh, I think 
the reason why we have so many providers is because there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> so there's a huge amount of complexity. We already talked about the uh, amount of legacy uh, already in place. Trying to replace and modernize those uh, those setups is, is very time consuming uh, and expensive work. So the opportunity size is fairly large. Uh, and the uh, the processes take a very long time. Uh, the uh, the end result is going to be there somewhere, and we're going to see this consolidation. But for for the time being, I think there's enough work to be done <laughs> for everybody uh, in this space uh, due to the complexity and the and the amount of legacy. So I think it's uh, quite inevitable that we will see a lot of players uh, in this space, and that's a good that's a good thing. Absolutely, I, I think we're also going to continue to see. Uh, consolidation or mergers and acquisitions of the financial institutions as well, which will drive for, for the need to uh, harmonize and modernize core systems. And maybe a good way of doing that is to move more towards a as a service paradigm. That's true. I mean, that's that's historically true as well. Just look at the Nordics. Uh, we had hundreds and hundreds of banks just 100 years ago. Now we pretty much have a handful uh, of large banks and all of them are consolidations of, uh, of these hundreds of banks uh, from the past. So yeah, it's been happening a long time and it's gonna continue to happen. Yeah. So what's next for your bottom? <laughs> we, um, we have um, an ambition to um, go after sectors that are not necessarily um, overcrowded in terms of targeting by, by the ones that we mentioned we want to elevate the um sort of uh, financial uh, wellness of certain uh, audiences in the market uh, together with chat with financial by by levering the the best proposition um we want to bring more products to to the market and through this this being purchased by Chetwood, we are able to do so especially in areas where where we haven't been able to to offer those those products to to customers and um essentially we want to take the company to an international level um as we see the client growth in different uh territories so as i mentioned already there's there's plans for customer to potentially expand into US market, that could also be for us a, a natural fit of, of expansion as well. But the forefront of our business going forward with this acquisition will certainly stay uh, with a focus on banking as a service um, and all the elements that I described earlier. Fantastic. Excellent. So very often on our podcast, actually every single episode of our podcast, we, we like to, um, to lighten the mood a little by having a, a good but bad joke. I tend to do them at the end, towards the end, after we've had some real deep, interesting discussions, Villa likes to kick off with it. So I'm wondering, you don't by any chance happen to have a fantastically bad fintech or banking joke you can share with us so that we can go out of this episode with a smile and a laugh. <laughs> I do have a, a one or two that I, I, I could use. So um, I'm going to ask you one. So why did a skeleton not rob the bank? Oh, I, I don't know. Well, because he did not have the guts. <laughs> <laughs> a bit silly, isn't it? Uh, but oh, I that's fantastic. That. <laughs> You've been picking up the, the jokes from the same place we have. Right at, the, right at the bottom of the dustbin. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. So, as always, we're heading towards the, uh, the end of this episode. It's been a really fantastic, interesting discussion. I'm just wondering very quickly, Ion, is there anything that you feel that we've missed that you would have liked to have shared with our listeners? Um, I mean, quite frankly, the... Um... The market is ever so changing, and I think um, there is a certain 
adoption of new technologies in the market by large players, they, they do realize that um, there is time for change. And more so, they realize that they could create new business revenues um, through offering banking as service propositions, as, as the case of Yabota and Chetwood Financial, them being a bank. Um, and there are more of these uh, propositions coming to the market, as we've seen HSBC announced uh, an element of that as well for, for the SME sector. Um, and yet, perhaps their technology still needs to be changed in many many areas. They're they're trying to stay on the bandwagon. So I think it's 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 a matter of how you're thinking about technology, how you're thinking about your business proposition, and and sort of like how you're leveraging what you're you've invested in. Because ultimately, yes, there are you know huge projects, huge implementation um, timelines. Um, but ultimately, if you have that capability through the technology to generate more more revenue apart from just your usual um, uh, end customers then um, then you need to look at technologies that enable you to do that fantastic it's been a great discussion it's been an absolute pleasure having you join us here today before we finish off villa and i would like to give you the opportunity to let the listeners know how they can contact you if they want to know more about your botta your services your capabilities or just discuss life with you yeah no I, I mean i am available on on linkedin the company's website is yabota.xyz um you can also uh, meet us at the following events we're attending the old five event and also money 2020 in amsterdam so it would be um, great to to meet in person with whoever wants to know more about uh, about the company fantastic Thank you very much for joining us on uh, this episode of FinTech Daydreaming. And as always, to our lovely guests, if you've uh, stuck with us through this episode, we're really pleased that you have done so. Um, as a finishing touch, we really would like you to smash the like button on the, the podcast episode. And whilst you're at it and feeling uh, click happy, hit the subscribe button as well and leave us really a nice comment or a bad comment. I mean, it's up to you, but we have, we've learned that apparently um, a comment is worth more than five likes. So please leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you would like some of our future episodes to, uh, to cover, what we should look at, because those comments and those likes and, and everything else helps us to grow. And the more we grow, the more excited Villa and I are to bring you additional guests and episodes and, and content. Until Villa and I come back in two weeks time with another episode, we hope you have had a fantastic Easter and um, talk to you again soon. This has been FinTech Daydreaming. This is FinTech Daydreaming.